Welcome again, everybody. It's great to see you and everybody watching online and our Montrose building. Thanks for gathering together and uh, kind of kicking the new year off right. We're going to start a new series uh, this weekend called How It Started, How to, How to Start, How's It Going? And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to kind of look at Jesus's life and his ministry and talk about like how that played out and then how that is our example and our challenge and our model and how that uh, is to play into our lives as well. So uh, last fall, if you weren't here, all these conversations are up online if you wanna catch up. But last fall, we started looking at Jesus's life and we started with his baptism. And then after his baptism, uh, we started looking at his time in, in the, what we call in the wilderness. And it just comes out of the biblical narrative there. And those were like two things that were like precursors to what we call Jesus's public ministry, right? And so we started looking at those things. And, and like I said, they're online if you wanna look at that. Then we jumped into Christmas, of course. And we talked about just the miracle of the virgin birth and the wonder of God coming down and being with us on earth. Earth. And so I kind of want to pick up there in Jesus's life of, of like his ministry, right? So Christmas is all about him being an infant and him arriving. Now where we're going to pick up here is 30 years later, right? So when Jesus was about 30, we know a little bit about him between his birth and this 30 year mark. So we know like when he was 12, he went and taught in the temple and, and, and people were like amazed by what he had to say and his wisdom and his insight. We know it when he was eight days old, he was dedicated to the temple. So we know a little bit about his childhood, so to say, but where we know the most about Jesus is the last three years of his life. So when he became 30, from 30 to 33, and when you look at uh, the accounts of Jesus's life, most of it happened in those three years. Uh, when you see him doing miracles, when you see him teaching, uh, when you see him interacting with sinners and self-righteous people, that's all in that three-year window. So from where we're gonna like pick up his life this weekend for the next three years, and then it will like conclude with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, right? Uh, that's the bulk of what we know about Jesus. So where we're at now, we came out of Christmas, we're looking at that childhood thing. What's happened since then is we know that he went and was dedicated uh, at the temple when he was just a baby. We know that he showed up again there when he was 12 years old and he taught and kind of blew everybody's mind. Now we know that he was baptized and we know that he was tempted in the wilderness. And now we're gonna pick up his story uh, chronologically like right after that, okay? So uh, this is what I'm gonna walk you through this weekend. We're, we're gonna talk about like how it started and like what Jesus did and then how that plays out in our life. And kind of the path of conversation we're gonna take this weekend is this. We're gonna look at a complete picture of who Jesus really is. Jesus, what he's gonna do here is he's gonna define who he actually is. And uh, he does this a few times over the course of his public ministry where he like backs everybody up and is like, hey guys, let's just get back to the bottom line. And this is kind of the first time that he does that in a, in a big, big public way. And we're gonna look at how that definition causes a, a tension in our faith. 
And when Jesus kind of comes out and says, this is who I really am, this is why I'm really here, it creates a tension in our lives. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're gonna see how the, the, the clarity of that complete picture brings us to a decision as whether or not we're gonna be a follower of Christ or not. Kind of uh, puts us in a yes, no situation. And we'll see how he does that with the people around him, okay? So if you've got a Bible, grab it. We're gonna go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, and we're just gonna pick him up there. And in Luke chapter four, uh, this is like his, the first time like he teaches or kind of breaks out into this public ministry. And uh, this is what's happening. The Bible tells us this in Luke chapter four, verse 16. Uh, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. So Jesus is kind of, out and about, some of his disciples are kind of with him a little bit, and he's out and about doing his thing. And one of the first things he does after the wilderness is, is he, he goes and he teaches, but then he also goes back to Nazareth, right? His hometown. So Nazareth is, a, is an interesting place. It's a little, little village, like in the backwaters of Israel. And it, it's on a steep hill. I've been there. It's like on the steep hill. It's kind of out by itself. And it's in the middle of nowhere. So Nazareth is like the Doyle's town of the ancient world. That's, that's what it is. So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? And it's where Jesus grew up and, and like where his family was. It's where Joseph was from and, and all those kind of things. So all he just went home. He went home to his boyhood home. And then when he got there, he did what he usually did. He went to the synagogue or to church church and uh, he went there like on, on Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures, which was how the, the synagogue worked in, in those days. Now, let's just stop and talk about this for a second because there's actually a lot in here that's really fun to understand. Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth is the Doyle's town of the ancient world. So like nobody's ever heard of it. Like, you know, nobody's ever, nobody really knows where it is. You drive through it before you realize you missed it. And they're like, oh, there's a statue in the middle of town. That, that, like that's Nazareth, right? That's, that's what that is. Jesus has left Nazareth, right? And so he, he went, was baptized. He's been doing some teaching and some miracles and stuff like that. And what he has started to do is he has started to put Nazareth on the map, so to say, right? There is no way on planet Earth that 2,000 years later, we would be sitting here talking about Nazareth if Jesus wasn't from Nazareth, right? So he's just a kid from Nazareth, right? That's who he is. So for the people there, he's the guy that broke out. And he made it to the NBA, right? And he, he broke out and they're excited about it. In, in, the, in the ancient world, and especially in the religious ancient world, the, the NBA would have been the temple in Jerusalem. And the way that ancient Judaism worked is, is these synagogues were kind of like affiliated. They were like offshoots, so to say, of this temple in Jerusalem. So for Jesus to be respected in the temple in Jerusalem and for him to know some of the Pharisees and Sadducees and for him to, when he's 12, to show up and be respected in that setting, that was a massive deal to Nazareth. He was the Nazareth golden child. He was the child prodigy, all those kind of things. So when he comes home, the people of Nazareth would have been like, Jesus is coming home. Like, let's go see Jesus. Like, he's coming back, right? He left South Beach, he's coming back. And, and he's coming home and they're excited about it because he's like, they're like, he's our guy. 
He's our guy. And when he goes and teaches at the synagogue, like word would have got out that Jesus was in town, that the synagogue would have been packed that day because the people knew Jesus and they love to hear his teaching. And he's the golden child. Of course, he never sinned. So like he grew up with all these people and all the parents were like, why don't you hang out with Jesus more? You know, because he was the good kid. And people know all these kind of things about him, okay? So that, that's what's happening a little bit. He comes back and he's going into the synagogue and he's going, to, he's going to teach. And the way that they did that was they would get some of the Old Testament scriptures. They were written, handwritten on scrolls and they would read it and then they would comment about it. It's a lot like how we teach here. We'll read like a part of the Bible and then we'll teach about it, right? So that's what Jesus is doing. They hand him, verse 17, chapter four of Luke, they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, so one of the Old Testament prophets, they give it to him. He unrolls the scroll and found the place where it's written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So that particular passage in the Old Testament that Jesus was reading is a prophecy and it's, pro, it's predicting or prophesying that the Messiah is gonna be born, right? So we talk about uh, passages from Isaiah during Christmas all the time. So one of the famous passages from Isaiah is, uh, unto us a child will be born and he will be uh, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. That's out of the same Old Testament book that Jesus is reading. So this is the prophet saying the Messiah is gonna show up. The savior is gonna show up. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, your God is going to show up. And what, that, what your God is gonna do, what the Messiah and the savior is gonna do is he is going to bring good news to the poor. He's gonna proclaim that the captives will be released. He's gonna let the blind see. He's gonna... Uh, tell the oppressed that they're gonna be set free and he's gonna be the living embodiment of the Lord's favor showing up. So Isaiah is talking about the Messiah, right? So Jesus reads this passage, verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant and he sat down all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently and then he began to speak and this is what he says. He says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's a big deal. So he's like, that scripture that like you all memorized, this Messiah that we all pray for, that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish teaching has been talking about, prophesying about, that the captives free, the blind will see, that whole thing, that scripture is fulfilled today. In other words, Jesus looks at them and says, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All those songs you're singing, they're about me, Jesus, right? And when he said that, there would have been a little bit of an awkward silence in the room, right? And the people who heard that, who packed out because the kid from Nazareth came home for the weekend, would have been like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, some of them 
some of them would have heard that and been like, sweet, sweet. Because we've heard that you've been doing miracles in, in Capernaum, this town down the road. And we've heard that you've been healing people and all this kind of stuff. And if that's true and you're the Messiah and we're friends, because we went to shop class together to learn to be carpenters, right? If that's true, I've got like this major hookup to like God healing me, blessing me, right? We heard that you can <clears throat> multiply stuff. So you're gonna, you're gonna bless us and prosper us? We're gonna multiply. How about some of these dollar bills, right? How about you do some of that for me? And I've got this hookup now, right? That you can, some of them would have heard it that way. Some people would have heard this <clears throat> and they would have said, um, you've lost your mind, like we watched you grow up. Like you, we were childhood friends. Like we played whatever ancient Jewish kids played, you know, Mario Brothers. Like we, we, we played that growing up. Like, and you're telling me that this person that I know, <coughs> this person that I've understood my whole life, this person that I hung out with and we had meals together, you're telling me that you're God. So some people are going to be cranked about this. Some people are going to look at this and be like, he's lost his, his ever-loving mind. And then some people are going to be like, <coughs> um, I was on Instagram. What did he just say? Like they're, they're just going to be confused by the whole thing, right? They look at him and they say, we're not quite sure what you're talking about. And they're going to suddenly start to be in a tension, right? A tension in their life, right? Now, what is this tension that, that, is brought, that Jesus brought into their life? This is the tension that Jesus brought into their life. Because these guys grew up with Jesus and because they've known them our whole, their whole life, they, <laughs> they had created their definition of who he is. So they, some of them would have looked and said, sweet, he's going to bless me. Sweet, he's going to give stuff to me. Some of them would look and say, that's the nerdy kid from high school. And then some of them would have looked and said, I could care less what he says. But suddenly they had their vision and their construct and their definition of Jesus is suddenly being challenged by Jesus. Because for most of them, there was a bit of a pride a self-serving pride in who Jesus was. Jesus put Nazareth on the map. They, everybody thought we were backwoods hicks until Jesus showed up and the smartest guy at the temple is from Nazareth. Uh, Jesus would have some, been somebody that most of them would have wanted to identify with, right? You're from Nazareth? Aren't you guys like hicks? No, no, no. We're with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, see? the kid from Nazareth. He gave them a definition. He gave them a respect. He gave them a validation and they wanted that and needed that and kind of took that from him. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that, but that was how they interacted with him. When they found out he could heal people, now they wanted that. They're like, ooh, this is great. I got a hookup. And I know Jesus, like we grew up together, right? We got a hookup. He's going to bring his superpowers to us. 
He's from our hometown. We're excited to be identified with him. He does incredible things that are gonna benefit us. We want to be associated with Jesus. And because they liked that association and because they had a definition of what they, that meant, they had, like all of us do, they had constructed a storyline about who Jesus was to them. They had constructed a desired outcome. Jesus is gonna make us look good and maybe gonna heal us and maybe give us something. They had constructed a desired outcome. They had constructed kind of a, a, a wish list. Ooh, you know what else he could do for us? Maybe he could improve the neighborhoods and maybe he could make the education system. He could do, because he's Jesus and we're his hometown, he could do all these kind of things for us. And for the last 30 years, they had built in their mind their own storyline of who Jesus is. And now he's coming home and we're excited to see him. And it's always the best Saturday of the year when Jesus teaches at the synagogue and he just said he's God. And his definition of himself kind of runs smack into their definition of him and attention would have arisen. He is not who I thought he was, and I don't know if I believe who he says he is. Right now, how to start? How's it going? How did it start? Everybody loved Jesus until he defined himself, and now they're not sure what to do with him. How's it going? Kind of the exact same way. Because that tension that they felt in the synagogue that day is a tension that you and I would feel all the time when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. So like, before we get like too judgy of these guys, like we're, we're just like them, right? There's parts of Jesus that I love and I love to be identified with. I, I love to be identified with a God who is a God of unfailing love. Like I love saying that out loud. I love telling that to people, especially if they didn't know that that's what Jesus is like. I love telling them that stuff. I love telling people that God is faithful. Like he's not out to get you, he's out to, like I love that part of the story. I love telling people that like, he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace, an everlasting father. There is like no downside to hearing that. And that part of Jesus is absolutely true. 100% true. And there's more. And the more part, some of it, I don't like to be identified with as much. It doesn't benefit me. There, there's no downside for me to stand up or to look a friend in the eye and say, God loves you, he's faithful to you and he will never leave you. There's no downside to that. And it's not the only thing that Jesus says, right? So there's parts of Jesus I don't necessarily like to be identified with all the time, like his exclusivity. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, nobody goes to heaven unless you go through me. And if you looked at me and said, so you're saying my friend who didn't know Jesus didn't go to heaven, they went to hell? I don't like having to say yes to that. 
You're saying that's what happened? I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that's what Jesus said. I don't, I don't like that part as much. I, I, don't like, I don't like the part of Jesus that doesn't affirm my lifestyle, doesn't affirm my morality, doesn't affirm my greed, doesn't affirm my pride, doesn't affirm my self-righteousness. I don't like that part as much. I don't like to be publicly identified with that part as much. It's, I would much rather tell you that God is faithful than to tell you that God will look at you at times and say you are sinful, right? I don't like the, the judgy part of Jesus. Like when people, sometimes people look and say, well, Jesus, Jesus would never judge me. I'm like, oh, you know, he's like, he's going, he does. And, he, and like, actually we're all gonna stand before him in judgment. Like before him, not before the father who we think of sometimes as like the grumpier one, but like Jesus, Jesus is the judge. And Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Or Jesus is gonna say, these, these works are earthly and useless and these ones are eternal and valuable. Like Jesus is actually pretty judgy. I don't like talking about that one as much. It's not as fun to be identified with it. So like the, the tension in the synagogue, I'm like, that, that's, that's the same tension I live in, right? That there's, there's, a, there's this golden child part of Jesus that I love. Like you drive into Nazareth, it's like hometown of Jesus. Like right there on the plaque, population seven, hometown of Jesus. Like right there. And then this other like, but I'm, here's the rest of me. And the rest of me is not necessarily something that you like or something that you want but it's true and I'm not just your golden child I'm actually your God and I'm the promised Messiah I will absolutely forgive you of your sin and I also hold all authority over heaven and earth right and the people didn't know what to do with that they didn't know what to do with that. In fact, they, they responded to Jesus and they looked at them and said, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Aren't you just Jesus? This, what you just said is nowhere in the narrative that we have created about you. But it is true nonetheless, right? And Jesus looked at them and in essence said, I didn't come to be liked by you, I came to make you like me. And there's more toward the story than what you've created in your own mind. And I love you and I'm faithful to you and that's why I'm telling you the rest of it, right? Now, what's fascinating, Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, tell you the truth, no, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. When you have constructed a story and you have built a scenario and you have created a narrative, it's very difficult for the truth to enter that. When you have decided and defined your own truth, that's what they did, they decided and defined their own truth. For the whole truth to enter that is very, 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 very difficult. 
And Jesus looked at them and said, you know what? This is, go- this is gonna be hard for you guys because you've been around me the most and the longest and you're the most attached to your truth. And as I bring the whole truth in, you're probably not gonna accept it, right? And he didn't scream that at them. He's just sitting there talking. He didn't scream that at them. He didn't call fire down upon them. He challenged them and he spoke into this tension that he knew was in their heart, right? Now, watch what happens. This is fascinating. He says this to them. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. He kind of did a God thing and just left because it wasn't time for him to die yet. Okay, catch this. This is this, they're furious, they mobbed him, they forced him, they intended to kill him. This is about four minutes after he read from the scroll of Isaiah. So four minutes ago, he's the golden child that everybody came to synagogue for that weekend because they wanted to hang out with Jesus because everybody loves Jesus. And they're blown away by his wisdom and his words and how gracious they are, that's what the text says. Four minutes later, they're furious. They want to mob him and they want to kill him and throw him over the cliff, right? It's fascinating. This happens to Jesus a few times. Later on in the book of John, uh, John chapter six, Jesus is talking to, there's a bunch, uh, like thousands of people following him. He looks at them and he says, in essence, I'm the way, the truth, life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am God. Everybody left him except the, the 12 disciples, Later on, he goes into Jerusalem. This is, this is Palm Sunday. He goes into Jerusalem. The whole city shows up. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God's with us, God's with us, God's with us. Seven days later, they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the trigger to all these events, and it happened a couple other times. The trigger of all these events is he was like, I am not who you think I am. I am who I am. And I am your God. I, I, am, I am not your golden child. I'm actually your God. And if you don't engage me and accept me as God, you're actually not engaging me or accepting me at all, right? Now I think about those people in that synagogue and I, we would probably say it this way today. I think in that synagogue, there were some people who were fans of Jesus. Right, like I'm pro Jesus. Like, I, you know, I'm not. I, he's a he's loving and he's kind and he's my homie and like I, I'm pro Jesus. And they were fans of Jesus. And Jesus would have looked at them and said, "That's fine. Like, that's how a lot of people start their faith journey." But I'm not looking for fans. I'm looking for followers. Right? There's other people that would look and said, "Well, Jesus would be like one of my favorites. Like when I'm in a bind, I go to Jesus, man." And they're kind of in and out and up and around and, and they're swinging back around Jesus every once in a while. And Jesus would look and say, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to be like one of your favorites. Like when all else fails, turn to Jesus. I'm looking for a follower, right? Now, what's a follower? I defined it. This is just my definition. Here it is. Jesus followers are people who understand the complete picture of Jesus, 
right? I, I am loving and faithful, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and exclusive and righteous. And they understand the complete picture and they make a decision to accept Jesus for who he is, not who we have created him to be. Fans usually look at one part of it. I like this part of Jesus, this one, this one. That's what I'm putting on a t-shirt. Faves look and say, well, if I'm in a really, really bind, I guess I need a God. So I'll, if you can get me out of this bind. Followers, followers go into this with eyes wide open. And they look and they would say, I, un- I understand the tension. Like, I'm saying that to you. I'm the, the Reverend Dr. Jeffrey, but like, I understand. There's parts of Jesus I like, there's parts of Jesus I don't. There's parts of Jesus I understand, there's parts of Jesus that I don't, right? So they understand that tension and they look at that tension and say, wait a minute, I'm going to accept that because I, I'm gonna take Jesus for who he says he is I'm not going to make Jesus into who I want him to be. And in the synagogue that day, as he's talking to the people that he grew up with, that's what he ran into, right? Fans, Jesus is in town, faves, maybe he'll give us something. And he looked and said, scriptures reveal like, I am God, and you accepting me and knowing me and embracing me as God is what I have actually called you to do. And that process and that decision is something that every human being has to struggle with when they're thinking about Jesus. That complete picture brings clarity to my decision whether to follow Jesus or not, right? And if you haven't wrestled with that and you haven't been in that tension, there's parts of him I like, there's parts of him I don't, there's parts I understand, there's parts that I don't, then you haven't kind of gone the distance to what Jesus is actually calling you to, right? Now, ready, listening? Catch me. I don't want you to feel bad about that. Because you not going that distance isn't you doing something bad or you doing something wrong. It just means you haven't gone to that place yet. I wrote this in the notes. Ready? Our faith does not become real until the high cost of following Jesus is discovered, embraced, and determined to be of worth. Every single person who has ever followed Jesus has come to this critical time in their life where they have had to make a decision to accept the complete Jesus or to walk away and to live in their invention of a God that actually doesn't exist. Every single person has had to do that. I have had to do that. Everybody has to do that. There's always a tension that leads to a crisis. And it's a crisis of decision. I, and I would say our faith isn't real until we've come to that crisis. Because until I understand the high cost of following Jesus, 
until the, Jesus loves me, this I know, that's very, very true. And then it is equally true when Jesus says, you will be hated for following me. Uh, un- until I understand that both of those things are equally true, right? I will bless you and you will be persecuted. Until I understand that, until I discover who Jesus is, this, this is why we read the Bible and we go to church and we have Bible studies and stuff like that. It, it, we're discovering who Jesus really is. A lot of times Jesus says something or wants something or has defined something. We, don't even, we didn't even know that was in there. So until we start discovering who Jesus is, we don't really, really know who to follow, so to say. So we go on that pursuit and then we embrace it. Like I know that there's parts of Jesus that I don't like. I wish everybody went to heaven and we never had to have the conversation about hell. If, if I was God, there wouldn't be a hell, but I'm not. And there is one and there's one for a reason and he understands it and I don't fully understand it. But I know he's faithful and loving and rich in mercy and full of grace. Well, how do you rectify that with a hell? I actually can't completely, I trust the heart of God. I've embraced the fact that it doesn't all make sense to me. I don't like looking at someone across the table and saying, you're in sin and you should repent. I wish I could just accept everybody all the time, no matter what we're doing. But the Bible tells me, if I love you like Christ, I will tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. I don't like doing it. Well, why does it work that way? I don't know completely. I just know that's what God is. I just, I've just embraced it because I'm a follower. Hey. I want to follow Christ, not just a fan. He's not one of my faves. Like I'm in on this. And so when we understand this high cost and we discover it and we embrace it and then we determine that it's of worth. In John chapter six, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm God. Most of them leave. He looks at the 12 and he says, you guys going to leave too? And one of them looks back at him and he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Like you're God. Like what are we, now that we know that you're God, like what are we, what else are we gonna do? We found the way. We found the truth. We found the life. We, we, don't, we can't walk away from it. We don't understand it all. But we entrust you and we know your heart and we're in. And guys, listen, everybody comes to that point. Everybody lives in that tension. You can study the Bible for 50 years and you will not escape that tension and you will not escape these decisions. And God knows that. That's why he's rich in mercy and full of grace. He knows that we struggle with it. He knows that the mic drop moment, like in the synagogue, is like a thing. And he also loves us enough to tell us the truth, to confront our false narratives, 
to, to lean into stuff that sometimes we don't want him to lean into because the worth of eternal life, the value of the kingdom of God, the power of life change, see? If I've encountered God, what else am I gonna do? Except follow him, right? And this is, this is like stop one. <laughs> and, and stop one in this synagogue, Jesus is like putting this line down. And you'll see him do it again and again and again. He like puts this line down. He's like, I love you. That's why I'm telling you the truth. And if you believe that I am something that I am not, you've actually created a false God or what the Bible often calls an idol. So I came so that that truth, the truth of who I am can set you free of that. But to love me with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength is to follow me for who I am. I think in our like vernacular, like we, we say things like, you know, God is my friend and God is my support and God is my strength and God, and, and all of that stuff is actually true. It's in the Bible. We like that part of it. A follower is gonna talk probably not as much about what's awesome about Jesus they're probably gonna talk more about like devotion, abandon, surrender, um, yielding, right? uh, sharing in the suffering, that kind of stuff. Because Jesus is all of that, but we need to allow him to be all that he says that he is, right? And when we come to these tensions and these critical moments, right? At that point, figuratively bowing your knee to Christ. He's my friend, he's my brother, he never leaves me, he never forsakes me. And he is my Lord and my savior. I think, uh, I think to land this, you know, this weekend, we're gonna talk about this stuff for the next few weeks. Like this is, you know, this is the first conversation. So we're kind of opening this up. So we'll dig into it more. But I think to land it this week, I think the, the two places or the two questions maybe that make sense is, is this. One for sure is like, are you a fan or a fave or a follower? Right, so you can, you can believe true things about Jesus and not believe Jesus for who he really is. And so have, have you discovered that complete picture and is that what you've signed up for? And when that shows up in real life, real time right now, like are you, are you yielding to that? Like that's definitely one of those things, right? I think the other question would be something like this. Like, are you, are you in this moment? Like, is your faith becoming real? 
Guys, listen, there, there is no, following Jesus is wonderful. There is no promise that your life goes great once you follow Jesus. His didn't, the disciples didn't. I don't know where people drew that stuff out of the Bible, but it's just not in there. There is no promise that, that in fact, the promise is the opposite that you will be persecuted. People are gonna hate you. You're gonna stand against the grain of culture. Like, have you come to that moment where you would look and say, I, I understand that and I'm still in. Like, I'm still in. Like, where else would I go? I have found the words of life. I've discovered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Messiah. And like, what else am I supposed to do? And I want you to know that moment is not a lack of faith. That moment is not a weakness. It's probably more of like a reality check. And Jesus is with you in that moment. He's not afraid of that moment. He's with you in that moment. And he wants you, he calls you to be his follower even that time, right? So when we get there and we're tempted to be furious and we're tempted to mob him and we're tempted to kick him off the edge and out the edge of our life, the follower, while wrestling with those emotions, says, no, no, I yield, I submit, I surrender, I want to be devoted. It's not, a, it's not a blind faith, it's an informed faith that comes with a powerful and a life-changing decision, right? All right, band's gonna come up and they'll have to move the stage a little bit, but maybe, maybe bow your heads and Pray with me as they settle in here, right? Jesus, would you help us? God, would you meet us in this moment? God, we all live in this tension and and it's hard because there's people that we love and we wish so desperately that everything was fine in their life, but it's not. And, And we don't like telling them. We wish everything was fine in our lives and that you just blessed us with whatever we wanted, but you look at us sometimes, you deal with our sin and you deal with our self-right. And so Jesus, would you meet us in this tension? You know, you know you cause it and you love us and walk us through it. Would you meet us right now? God, if anyone is at that critical moment where it's, it's a, it's a crossover from being a fan to a follower. Would you demonstrate your kindness? Would you empower your word through your Holy Spirit? And let there be a, a distinct change in their interaction with you even this weekend. In these still moments, Jesus, would you meet us in personal and in powerful ways.